gone through all the alphabets. <laughs> all the alphabets. But uh, we are going to start in the Word of God with you and not just to say. But it seems appropriate to, uh, to start with some, uh, a little wrestling uh, intro as well. Right? So if we look at God's Word, we want to humble ourselves to the Word of God. So let's get ready to humble! Uh, I hate this. I hate this. And thank you for tuning up the mic. All right, John chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 25. If you guys remember, Jesus had fed the 5,000 plus people. People were excited. They ate a lot. And then uh, the disciples got in the boat to go somewhere else. And we're not going to read this part today. But then Jesus walked on water and joined them in the boat. And they ended up in a different location. And what you'll find is that once people heard that Jesus was handing out free bread and like the greatest fish fry this side of the Mississippi and that side of the Mississippi, the greatest fish fry known to man, uh, as that happened, uh, people were like, we want some of that. And so people are searching. They literally, the, the news spread of people got in boats to go to the first place where the miracle happened. And now they're going to a new location. They're looking for Jesus. But as Jesus points out, their, their motivations are a little bit suspect. So let's read uh, essentially line by line here, starting in verse 25. You guys with me? Yeah. All right. Starting in verse 25, uh, this is what it says. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So they're a little bit confused, and rightly so, because he wasn't in the boat with the disciples, and then somehow he mysteriously ended up on the other side of the, the uh, Sea of Galilee there, and that was largely due to the miraculous act of him walking on water. And so they're like, where, where did you go? They were looking for him. Keep reading in verse 26. We read 26 to 27. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You don't work for food that spreads, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his yoke of so Jesus, right off the bat, says, hey, you're, you're looking for the wrong stuff. You're looking for me. I appreciate that. But not because the signs I performed cause you to believe in me, but because you're like, hey, we had, we had some good bread. We're hungry again. Can we get some more of that? Can you give us more sustenance? We're hungry again. We want more of what you've done before. Why don't you do that? And Jesus says, no, you're, you've got the wrong perspective. The bread, the miracle of the bread was supposed to lead you to me. Not to more bread. Right. And so they go to Jesus, and you'd think this would be a great moment. And, and ideally, they would say, hey, Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to be your disciples. The miracle pointed us to who you are as, as the Son of God. But instead, they're like, hey, if you want that bread, you have that recipe, can, can we have some more of that? So they're, they're, they're missing the miracle of what it was supposed to produce in their life. And now they're just looking for kind of a surface-level impact of what Jesus is trying to bring into the and Jesus says, you're working for food that's spoiled. Because you're doing all this effort. And they were doing a lot of effort. They helped in boats, they were trapped, and you're doing all this effort. But it's for uh, something that spoils, for something that doesn't yeah. last. But yeah. keep reading here in, uh, in verse 14. Uh, we'll read let's see, 28 to 29. Uh, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so their question here is pretty interesting. i got to stand up. I can't see that. That's okay, Jacob. Let's go. I'm so sorry. 
blowing up right here, things. All right, so uh, what's happening here is they go, okay, we want some bread. What do we need to do to get that bread? And uh, what work do we need to do? The whole point, the work is just believe in the one, uh, believe in, in, in God, believe the message. The work does is to believe in the one he has sent. He goes, what work do you need? I'm right here. All you have to do is believe. Think about all the things, all the things in the law, all the things that Jesus could have said, and he narrows down on believe. The work of God is this. Just believe. And they're, you know, they're looking for a, a step. You know, what do I need to do? Get, help, help us get this. What's the recipe? And it's just believe. Then verse 30. So they ask him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they say, okay, we, we want to believe. We want to believe. Just give us one more sign. Just give us another sign. And then we can move. And I, you know what? I, I love how they say this. What sign will you give us? Yeah, you know what, Jesus? There was like bread, and there was mention of bread in the Old Testament, like Moses gave bread. They're like, almost like uh, trying to be coy about the suggestion. <laughs> Catch that? Give us a sign. Uh, what sign could it be? Oh, you know, Moses, he gave them man and the desert. I don't know, Jim, you think you give us some bread? You know, uh -huh. I don't tell you how to do your job. But Moses, you know, he gave us them bread, so maybe we can get bread, then we would believe. And Jesus is inviting me. He says, oh, you're still missing it. And that's where we pick up in verse 22. Jesus said to him, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. So he goes, okay, yes, Moses helped you get manna in the desert, which was bread in the desert in the Old Testament. It's very interesting stories. But he goes, but it wasn't really Moses. Moses was just kind of the intercessor there. God gave me that bread. And God now is giving you a greater bread from heaven. He's like, ta-da, it's me. <laughs> the bread is right here. I'm offering you something far greater. And something that if you partake and what I'm offering, you, you're not going to get hungry again. And they're like, that sounds great when we get some of that. <laughs> the bread. But they're not talking about Jesus. They're, they're still missing it. Always give us this bread. Whatever, whatever you're saying to us, just give us the bread. We're hungry. Give us some bread. Give us some bread. And then Jesus uh, uh, puts it in a little bit more in verse 35. Yeah. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. So he's like, let me, let me connect the dots for you. I tried to allude, I tried to reference the Old Testament, I tried to point things out, and he goes, I am the bread of life. You're looking at it. I am the bread you're looking for. He's not the bread you're looking for. This is the bread you're looking for. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away from that moment. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall not lose one of those you give me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes shall have eternal life, and I will 
wisdom of the last day. So he goes, I am the better one. I have come to give you sustenance. To give you so much sustenance and to stick with you and, and be the, the providence that you need in your life so that you don't go hungry and so that you can make it all the way to the end. And guess what? I'm not giving up on you guys. My whole purpose is to stick with you, not like that bread that you eat and then it's gone and you're hungry again, but I'm going to stick with you and see you through all the way to the last days and I'm going to raise you with me. Like, can you get any better than this? I'm the bread of life. Water bread, baby, this is great. This is amazing. That's what he's offering them right here. But as soon as he says that, verse 41, at this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? So immediately, once they're not given what it is that they want, they start doubting the message of God. Once they're not receiving their initial request, they go, okay, he can't be who he says he is. I don't know what happened when we were all fed over there for 5,000. That must have been a fluke, because we know him. He ain't no son of God. He's the son of Joseph. He's not, he's not anything special. We know him. We know his family. We know where it comes from. He didn't come from heaven. And the doubt comes in. But the doubt wasn't there until what? They didn't get what they wanted. They didn't get what they felt like they were entitled to. They didn't get what, maybe what they felt like they deserved. They weren't getting that. And God was offering them something far better. But because it didn't match their agenda, what they wanted, they started doubting the message of God. How do we know him? Maybe God isn't always cracked up to be. I feel this way when I, I experience unanswered prayer. Yep. And I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying. God, are, are we on the same page? Are you really who you say you are? Mm -hmm. That doubt can creep in. Jesus uh, addresses it in verse 43. He says, stop grumbling among yourselves. Jesus answered, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent them draws me, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one who has seen the Father except the one who is from God, only, uh, only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. And he says it again, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. It didn't last, it didn't endure. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give to the life of the world. Then Jesus gets into even more interesting territory. He says it three different times here. I'm the bread. I'm the living bread. I, I am what you're looking for. Mm. And I'm here to, to provide. You ate the manna. You're, you're longing for this man. You had it earlier. You had the miracle of the, the loaves and the fishes, and you're still hungry. That, that's not going to last you. You're going to eat, and you're going to die. But if you, if you eat meat, if you eat my flesh, you will live. And he starts losing people with that line. Even, even us today, we're like, why can't I say that? Like, a PR move, say it a little differently. If you, if you consume yourself with the things of God, then you won't die. Like, that sounds better. <laughs> But there's a reason he says this, if you eat my flesh. Two things, right? What we eat becomes part of who we are. It literally, we absorb the nutrients and it becomes what you are, what you eat, right? We become a part of that. So he's like, 
Eat me, eat my flesh, and you will become more like me. And that's actually how you have a life that lasts. It's the same. There's also this kind of Jewish idiom of eating my flesh. By the way, this, this later references, he's about to talk about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. This, of course, we think as Christians about communion. We think about the time we take every week. But when Jesus is saying these words, he hasn't died, the last supper hasn't occurred. So what he's saying is not a direct, it's kind of an indirect or kind of by the Spirit's power, post-direct reference to communion. But here, it's something else. He's saying, I want you to consume me and kind of eat my flesh. Sometimes flesh represents a teaching or, or a concept that someone holds on to. So he's saying, eat my words. Eat what I'm saying. And that's a reference to the Old Testament. Uh, oftentimes, they would eat the scroll, eat the Word of God, to basically the Word of God would live inside somebody. And so Jesus is saying, consume my words, consume who I am so that you can become like me and have eternal life. And so he's saying these words, and then it starts to challenge the crowd. And it challenges the crowd in two different ways. We'll read in verse uh, 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? We'll keep reading here in a second. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh, so he doubles down, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last days. For my flesh is no food, and my blood is no drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, uh, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Mm. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. The crowd is confused. Okay, we're, we're not here to, to eat your flesh. And some probably were like, is he endorsing cannibalism? The early church was criticized. Because externally, the, the Romans and the Gentiles thought that when, when they talked about eating the, the flesh of Christ and when they were doing actual communion, that there was some cannibalism going on in the church. It was an early criticism of the original church. So there's parts of this where the crowd, I'm sure, was like, eat your flesh. I'm out. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's a shark tank. For this reason, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> not what I signed up for. But largely, it had to do with this teaching. I want you to live like me. I want you to be like me. I want you to consume me so that you will look like me and live in me and I in you. And I'm like, whoa, that's a little much. That would require a lot of my life to change. And I just want to And so there's this resistance because the, the teaching pushes them past what they know and what's comfortable. And it's not just this crap. This is where we come to a head in our city. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Wow. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man? He's like, if this offends you, <laughs> buckle up. Got some more I got son. something for you. Then uh, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have to you, the words I want you to consume, the words that will give you life, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Back to that original call to believe. There's some of you who don't believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. 
He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled me. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So imagine Jesus is teaching to this crowd. He's got his disciples. And not just 12, a ton of disciples falling behind him, following him, with him, giving up their lives. They've left home, they left wives, they left family behind, they left their, their families, their children, they left their jobs, they're following Jesus. And Jesus teaches, and the crowd goes, we can't, we can't agree to these terms. And they start turning around. That would be a bad thing. That, that would be discouraging. Then he looks to his left, and they start leaving too. And they say, well, this, I've given up a lot already. You're asking me to give up a little bit more. That, that's, that's more than I've signed up for. This cost is too high. He looks to his right, and some of those people start leaving. And all these people that said, Jesus, I'm with you, I want to follow you, I want to be a part of this, I want to experience all these miraculous things that you say you're going to do and that I've seen you do, they start to leave. They start to want and say, Jesus, this is too much. I, I, I wanted it to look this way, and following you now looks this way, and so I'm out. It's not what I signed up for. I think that relates to our life as Christians quite a bit. We agree, hey, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm all in. This is great. And then rubber meets the road. This is a little bit harder than I thought. It's a little bit more challenging than I thought. I thought it would look this way. Jesus is now saying it's going to look this way. We have to say, is Jesus actually Lord? Or is he Lord in this season? This isn't a Lord. It's a babysitter. Wow. It's just in this season. He is someone I submit to for a period of time until something better comes. Mm. And uh, the line right after this, if, you're, if you've read through John, you're probably familiar with it. It's how it's on heartstrings every time. Verse 6 and 7. You don't want to leave too, do you? Mm -hmm. Just ask the 12. So the 12 closest friends, the guys he recruited, he looks at them, and, and you can read this two ways. You can read it, you don't want to leave too, do you? You better not go. But the, the Jewish phrasing is, Answer is unknown. Imagine hearing this. You guys don't want to go too. He gives them a choice, and he doesn't know. Of course, God is all knowing. But he just kind of suspends that for his time here on earth. And he doesn't know. He knows Jesus can the train, but there's a sense of not you guys too, right? Or at least you guys still with me. You see the vulnerability of Jesus' love, and that's the love that He has for us. Imagine Him looking at you and saying, "Not me too." some bread that will, will not last? You're not giving up on them, right? You just see his heart laid bare. And then Peter comes in. Peter usually says the wrong stuff, but he's got the right stuff right here, right? <laughs> Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? There ain't no other options. How can we go anywhere else? You know why? The next line. You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Amen. Where else can I go? They're not teaching this in the synagogues. They're not teaching this on my fishing boat. They're not doing this. I've seen it. It's not just good teaching. It's not just nice. But you have the words of eternal life. Amen. He's saying, we believe you are the bread of life. And we want a slice. We want some of that. Dish it up, butter up, whatever. Give, give us some of that bread. We want it because we believe that it's worth it. 
And there could be times, if you know the story of the disciples, when they doubted this witness. It's not about perfection, it's about practice. And this is a good practice for Peter, right? That we believe yeah. that you are who you say you are, so we're sticking with you. Amen. Be still worship. And then Jesus responded, because have I not chosen you? The twelve. The last line here. Yeah, one of you is a devil. He's got to, you know, throw on a little last thing here at Judas. One of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though uh, one of the twelve was later to betray him. But even behind this, he was, of course you guys are going, I've chosen you. You've been chosen by me. And I can imagine him saying that to us, I've chosen you. And he's chosen even people that are going to make the wrong decisions, like Judas. And I love that that's in there as part of his story and part of his love as well. There's a ton going on in this passage. We're not going to talk about all of it today. There's just one do and one don't that stand out to me. When I the first is the, the don't. And it's don't work for food that's for us. The thing he said at the very beginning, don't spend your effort. Don't waste your life on things that don't matter. Don't waste your life on, on the stuff that's, that's going to waste away. And that the struggle is real between uh, what satisfies temporarily in our lives and what actually matters. You've been a Christian for a second. You felt that tension. Yeah. Right? And if you're not feeling that tension, it doesn't mean it's gone away. It only means that the wrong side might be winning. But our life as Christians is a drain to this tension of what temporarily satisfies what would make us feel good, what's nice, and what God actually wants in our life. And the life that God is calling us to live and what actually matters. And our, our you know, back in the very beginning, there was deception of, of which actually mattered, right? Back in the Garden of Eden. So from the very beginning, mankind has, has been deceived by, okay, well, what actually matters? Is it this, this thing that I think will satisfy but doesn't last? Or is it what God says actually matters? So Jesus lays it on here. He says, don't work for food that spoils. This group is working hard, but the goal is what they want or what they think that they need. God has a different goal in mind. Their pursuit, by the way, of the wrong thing blinds them to the better thing. They can't see Jesus for who he truly is because they're obsessed with the wrong thing. They're obsessed with temporary satisfaction. <laughs> you know, if you're struggling in your relationship with God, your pursuit of God, or you're maybe studying the Bible trying to figure out what does it really mean to follow God? And if you look at who God is, or maybe you grew up in the teens and you're thinking about who who kind of your parents are, are as disciples, who your parents see God as, but you're like, it just doesn't seem enough for me. It might be due to the fact that you're chasing after too many things that don't matter, that it's blinding you to see the value of a God who doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. you're the wrong stuff that blinds us to the better things, just like these guys talking to Jesus. I am the bread of life. They're like, cool, but you have that, that other bread. That bread that'll make you hungry. Now, how do you know if you're working for food that spoils? I'm thinking about this, and the best illustration I could use is, is an example of vending machine Jesus. Right? <laughs> vending machine. How do you know if you're working for, uh, for something that spoils or food that spoils? Vending machine. I'm not saying you know, food in the vending machine is spoiled. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I think when we approach Jesus, and we feel like Jesus is meant to dispense to us, Whatever it is we think he should dispense to us. Sometimes it's good things and maybe righteous things. Sometimes it's, it's the things that aren't right. But we approach Jesus and say, if I'm going to follow you, you better give me what I want. I put in my dollar, you give me before. Deal? <laughs> you know, here we go. You know, and then the dollar gets spit out. And like, oh, 
Oh, maybe a little straighter to get back in. But okay, this is transactional. Jesus, this is the life I want. And sometimes you're not preaching life, you do get tough life. But the sense of purpose I get as a disciple, the sense of family and the relationships that I have, the, the joy I have at times in waking up and reading my Bible and spending time in prayer, the contentment I feel, it's amazing. But sometimes that also isn't there. Sometimes the relationships cause more challenges than they're supposed to provide. I know that's good for all of us, right? Sometimes if we're going to be a disciple, we have to to enter into some friction, which makes things more challenging, and you know, it's not all hunky dory all the time. Sometimes we have to let go of things that, that once were okay but aren't anymore. There's different things that go on like that. And when that happens, we can say, whoa, 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 out of order, something's wrong. This exchange isn't happening the way it's supposed to be. We're treating Jesus like a thing. Another way that we can work through the spoils is to treat Jesus like a vending machine, but a broken vending machine. You know, when you, when you hit the button, we all have had this experience, I'm sure. And the Kit Kat or whatever comes, comes towards you, and then it gets stuck. Oh. And you bang on it, you're like, come on. Yep. You stick your hand up, like, oh, come on. You're, you're bargaining with <laughs> Whatever it is, right? You're like, I put in my money, this should happen. And sometimes in our life, there are things that we think we want, that we think are good for us, that we think we deserve, and God's word actually says no. This is not right for you. This is not good for you. I've designed you for something far greater. Don't you dare say it. And we say, no, it's a broken vending machine, because I want this. And we see Jesus, not just as he's not giving me what I think I deserve, but he's an actively an obstacle to the things that I want. I think this is more sometimes for those that are uh, it can be inside the church or outside the church, but they look at Jesus as an obstacle to good things in their life. That Jesus stands in the way. We think, if I can just get everything I want, then life will be better. And Jesus stands directly opposed to some of the things that I want. You know, it's interesting in our culture right now, the opportunity for leisure is at an all-time high. True. The availability of streaming and different leisure and all the kind of relaxation or just, there's so many things that just, even malls now are less about shopping, more about axe throwing and engagement. It's just, it's just leisure left and right. That's, that's not a bad thing. Great to have leisure. But in a world where leisure has become more and more available, is it unsurprising that dissatisfaction of most people has also risen to the So as we get more of what we want, sometimes somehow we're, we're less satisfied than we've ever been. Getting more of what you want, less happy. That the case and all these case studies that oh, God was just rich and famous, and then you kind of feel back to the earth and oh, it's more miserable. It looked great on the outside. I want that. And you look back stop. I'm chasing after the wrong stuff. I'm chasing after food and spoils. How about you gotta check your fridge? Yeah. Anybody <laughs> ever checked your fridge? Or maybe I've been a And uh, one of the things when the cousins visit, I'm just trying to do some video, but one of the things when the cousins visit, sorry, grandma. Uh, is uh, we check the refrigerator. And we're like, okay, where's all the expired stuff? We're checking. And some actually pulls out a dip. It's been in there since 1945. I don't know. Whatever year. <laughs> and you're like, grandma, we can't eat that. And it's kind of so really nice. Dips. stuff. You got to check the fridge with expired stuff. Sometimes, maybe, I'm sure none of you have ever done this. You open something, you're like, ooh, that's bad. And you stick it back in the refrigerator. <laughs> And it's like, okay, I do that sometimes, but sometimes you do that, right? So 
Christian, I'm baptized, I do this. But does your life reflect that you believe the words of Jesus? 
Because when we believe the words of Jesus, when that's true, discipleship becomes a joy. When we believe the words of Jesus, uh, our sacrifice is exciting. When we believe the words of Jesus, the need for reconciliation with other brothers and sisters is lightning. When we believe in the words of Jesus, sharing our faith is, is an adventure and not a chore, right? When we believe the words of Jesus, having a quiet time is like a whole meal before you even have breakfast. It's exciting. When you believe the words of Jesus, your life begins to change. You look more like Jesus. The people notice and get it. And it feeds itself. And you're like, you know, I want more of this. When we believe the words of Jesus, our life will reflect that. I challenge you this week as we, as we land here is think uh, of scripture. A scripture that's just uh, the words of Jesus, the words of God, the words of the Holy Spirit. Some scripture that's a promise of God that you're, you're like, if I were to believe this fully, I know my life would look different at the end of this week than it does right now. In any verse, I'll give you some options here in just a second, but pick a verse. And if you don't have to believe that right now, right? There's verses on there. Okay, I know it says this, but it's a little bit hard for me to truly believe. But my, my call is pick one verse and wrestle with one word of eternal life and wrestle with it, this wrestle of prayer. My, my, I've been holding on to the Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I get it, but help me get it more. Help me really get it. Pick, pick the scripture, right? On the note card, you your phone, lock screen, whatever. Pick the promise of God and hold on to it. Wrestle in belief. I'll give you some examples, some words uh, of God, some words of eternal life. God says, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. God says, I am the good shepherd. Know my sheep and my sheep know me. Jesus says, Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me. My, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. God's word promises that for these light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God's word promises that the harvest is plentiful. God's word promises that if God is for us, who can be against? God's word promises love never fails. God's word promises that we are more than conquerors. But we do that now. We are more than conquerors. God's word promises that uh, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word promises that if we choose to do the will of God, our faith will grow. We will believe in God. And that if we're still, we will know that he is God. As we were reminded this morning, his word tells us, the words of eternal life tell us that his love endures forever. And his word tells us that he is the bread of life. He is meant to be consumed and that he promises to sacrifice. We'll close here in a prayer. I'm going to pray for, for the meal. The meal being Jesus. Father God, we gather around to, to feast on you. Father God, thank you so much for bringing this family together. Allowing us to, to sit, to, to enjoy the fellowship, God, to enjoy worship. But Father God, it's all because of you. Thank you for this delicious and wonderful and amazing meal that is Jesus. That his teaching changes us. That his love and his uh, mercy towards us, God, it brings us nourishment. That uh, his call higher excites us with the spice of life, Father God. I pray that we can feast on your son as the bread of life. That we can find substance, God, that whatever... Uh, we're working for this one to spoil, Father God, expose us. Use the Holy Spirit to expose us so that we can turn to you and feast on you. God, I thank you so much for all that you offer us. And may we uh, choose to do your word, or do your will, Father God, and hold on and to believe the words of eternal life.
die. I pray that we'll never leave, God, that we'll be like uh, the disciples that stuck it out, Father God. That it's not about perfection, not about having it all together, but just working on it and trying to do it again. Help us to cling to one another, cling to you, and cling to your word. Your son, and then you, and your son, and your son.